Welcome to Everyday Pastor. Whether you have been a pastor for 40 years or four days, this space is for you. As a pastor, you spend your days encouraging and problem solving for others, but where can you turn for sound advice on leading your church or keeping your family a priority? On this podcast, Phil Waldrop will connect you with his ministry friends to talk about the things your layman friends don't understand or can't relate to. We want to help ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries. Let's dive in. Well, hey folks, it's Phil Waldrop, and I want to thank you again for joining me today for the Everyday Pastor Podcast, where we're helping ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries. And you know, as I travel the country and I speak in churches and I get to know pastors, and we start talking about things that have changed and how that presents new problems and new challenges for pastors, one of the areas that has changed in the last few years in church life is the importance of children's ministries. Now, let me just kind of date myself a little bit. I remember several years ago when I started speaking, the common fad, if you want to call it a fad, I wouldn't probably call it that, but it was student ministry or what we call then youth ministry. So if you went to an average church, if the pastor was full-time, the music director might be full-time or part-time. And if he was full-time, he was more likely than not going to be the minister of music and youth. And then we started separating those and had youth ministers, but nobody put children's ministry as a priority. But it was in the 80s and the 90s that churches began to realize that young couples wanted something for their children. They wanted quality programming. They wanted things that got their kids excited about the Bible and Jesus and about church itself, in quite a contrast to when I was a child where we didn't have any children's church. We had to go to what we called big church and had to sit quietly while people talked about things we did not understand. And so I think it's been a good step that churches now have made children's ministry a priority. But with that comes a challenge. Who will lead the children's ministry? And when a church begins to hire someone as a staff member, or even if it's a a volunteer in the church, what do you look for? What are those characteristics? Well, we're going to talk about that today on the podcast, and I'm delighted to have someone who is uniquely qualified, in my opinion, to talk about children's ministry because for seven years he was a children's minister, one year he was over family ministries, And then he became a senior pastor. So he's going to give us the perspective both as the children's minister, but also the perspective of a senior pastor who's looking for a children's minister. And his name is Dr. Blake Kersey. He is currently the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Decatur, Alabama. He, prior to that, was at the First Baptist Church in Trustville, Alabama. And what a tremendous ministry that he has had. And I'm delighted he's with us today to talk about children's ministry. So, Dr. Kersey, if it's okay, I'm going to call you Blake because we're friends. Absolutely. And uh, it's so good to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Phil, for having me. And it's an honor to be on this podcast with you and just to be associated with you and to call you a a dear friend and a mentor of mine. Well, (laughs) that makes me feel old. When people say, you know, you're a mentor, it kind of, it kind of does, but you're very kind. You're a great friend and I have tremendous respect for you and your ministry and for your family. And I just want to kind of jump right into this. 
by just asking you, what is the ideal, perfect scenario when you're looking to hire a children's minister? Well, sadly, the ideal usually doesn't happen. But if you did have the ideal, there would be someone from within your church, which is what you see a lot of churches doing in various ministries, that there's someone that's already serving on a volunteer basis. Maybe they're a school teacher. Maybe they're a retired teacher. Maybe they have just excelled in the area of teaching God's Word, of giving their time. And so if you had someone that was in that role already, number one, they already love your church. So you don't have to convince them of, here's why you should love this church. They know the culture of your church. They know the culture of your community. And I've learned in my time, short time as as pastor, that culture is everything. Mm -hmm. That chemistry is everything. I can always teach someone a skill. I can always send someone to a conference. I can send them to um, a book that they can read or to talk to another person. But I can't necessarily teach them humility. I can't teach them the value of, of serving with other ministries. So if you had an ideal scenario, it would be that there would be someone within your church who's already serving, but I would say that calling is of the utmost importance. I've seen people make the mistake to where someone is a successful school teacher, and so they just promote them into the role of children's minister, and they are highly organized, they have great lesson plans, they're great teachers but there's something different about having the calling of God upon your life. That calling, to me, is what's going to keep you going when you get that phone call from that upset parent. Mm -hmm. That calling is what's going to keep you going when you have to do the things in ministry that you never expected you'd have to do, um, that are tragedies that we walk through. So I would say the idea would start with, who do you have currently serving in that ministry that's doing a great job? I also think that you need to look... um, at having an effective way to communicate to parents. Parents are your primary customers, and a lot of times people think it's the children, but we want to develop a culture in which parents are the primary disciple makers, and we as a church are coming alongside parents, and we are another voice speaking hopefully the same thing that's being taught to them at home. So I think the ideal situation would be you already have a way to effectively communicate, here's where we are in the process, here's what we're looking for, And hopefully you have a database of people that even in that interim time, you have multiple people that can step up and fill that role. But as a senior pastor, you must know the parents in your children's ministry. You can't just stay separated with the deacons and the adult Sunday school classes. If you don't know who those volunteers are, you're not going to know the wealth of knowledge and potential that you have right there in your children's ministry. So I think the pastor has got to be... um, intricately involved with those past, with those parents and with the volunteers in the children's ministry. One of the things that, that I, I just want to come in that you said about the calling is sometimes when people come into church life, they don't realize that we are not like a, a school where, you know, the kids have to go to that school or the parents must send their kids to that school. In church life, they have a choice. They can go to other churches. And even the way we approach problems is a little bit different. So I totally echo what you said, that it has to be a calling on the person's life. Because if they don't have a calling, they may not, they may have some experience in handling children, but they don't have the experience that the church needs to come along beside it. Because the children's ministry is not separate from the church. It's an integrate part of the church. So that's why I like what you said about the parents. The parents is really... 
the the customers you said you know they're the ones that really were doing it and usually if the parents aren't involved the kids aren't going to want to come because they're going to rather stay home and play video games and and one thing i would comment too that i've observed if you don't understand that the parents are the primary disciple makers you can build a large number of children uh, attending a church but if the parents and you always have children that aren't but parents are such a vital part so i think that's a very good insight start with where you are with someone who knows and i should add your church knows them so you kind of know what to expect because sometimes when an outsider comes in it's a learning process and we learn things we didn't find out in the process of getting so so that's where we start so when you start this process of looking for a children's minister, what are some things you should do to begin the process? I, I think, again, the first step you look is, who do you have within your church? And immediately when you're looking for someone, if you don't have one in that spot, or if someone left that spot as children's minister, you need to fill that role of planning events, of coordinating with Sunday school teachers, and really someone that's going to come alongside and be an effective communicator. That's a key role in children's ministry is communicating to parents. So don't overlook your retired school teachers. Don't overlook the stay-at-home mom that has managed multiple schedules, that is communicating to the PTO board, that is communicating to all the organizations, and look to the moms who are so organized and who are able to communicate with a multitude of parents, but also with... um, with the children who are a part of their household. I think that you need to get input, I think, from three different areas. As you're beginning to look at starting this search process, number one, I think you've got to start with the staff. Um, I've learned that the number one thing in hiring people, and I've been a pastor less than 10 years, so I don't claim to be an expert, but in making hires that I've made in the last 10 years, I've learned the importance of chemistry and of having someone that's going to join the team that's going to say, I want to be a part of a team, not an all-star in my own ministry. And so do you know as a staff, these are the values. These are the things that are non-negotiables that we have. We call them at our church our, our staff culture, um, that we not only said this is what we want to achieve, but here are the action steps that we're going to achieve the staff culture. So you need the buy-in from your staff. I think the, secondly, you need buy-in from your, your volunteers. Don't forget your volunteers, they have selflessly given hundreds and hundreds of hours. They know your church, they know your people, they know the children. Um, perhaps when you have a, a volunteer, you're going to go back and you're going to find out that one of those volunteers has been called from the Lord to fill that vacancy. And so I think you go to them. I had listening sessions with our volunteers. What are the things that we're looking for? What are the things that are important to you? What do you think would work here? What do you think would not work here? Use that with your staff, also with the volunteers. And the third area uh, would be the parents. And again, we we use the word, they're your customers, but they're the experts. They know um, your community. They know um, what works and what doesn't uh, doesn't work. And, and, And again, you want to empower them. Even as the pastor, when you're meeting with them, we're not, we're not trying to find someone to come in and do the job for you. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think of children's ministers like a, a hitting coach or a, an academic tutor, that we're going to 
pay you money and my child's going to become a better baseball hitter by paying for you. I'm going to bring you in and they're going to become a better reader because you're the tutor. No, 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 no. We want a children's pastor to come alongside and really resource you and train you and equip you as moms and dads. So that gives you the role when you're talking with those parents to, again, instill within them, this is God's calling upon your life. This is from the very beginning, going going back to, to Deuteronomy 6. This is God's calling is for you to train them up to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so I think you use this search opportunity to instill some core values in what the role of a parent is. But I think you've got to um, involve your staff, involve your volunteers, and involve the parents. If I can unpack that just a little bit, a couple of questions that I think are practical for people listening. Number one, do you use a search committee? Is it best for you as the pastor to recommend versus putting together a committee and letting them recommend to you? What is your what is your experience that you would talk pastor to pastor about the selection process? And we're going to get into the qualities and all that, but but which which of those do you feel works best? And and I want to follow that up by saying, if you have a staff member, you're bringing in a children's minister, and they say, you know, pastor, I just I just don't feel comfortable. Now they don't have a moral reason or a doctrinal or a biblical reason. They just—they're the one who doesn't feel the chemistry's there. How much weight do you give to that, as well as the selection, the literal process? Is it something you think the pastor should recommend, if possible, or do you let a committee do it? Sure. Uh, personally, I'm not a king, and I'm not a priest either, and so I am one of the the members of the staff and one of the members of the congregation. I know that my responsibility is greater, right. but I want to include as many people as I can in that process. Um, what that means is I will go and I try to find a diverse search process, search team to be a part of that process. I recognize that they don't get the final say-so because they don't know the inner dynamics of the church like right. I do working with the staff. But I don't know things that they know, and they're able to ask questions, especially of certain candidates, um, that I wouldn't even think to ask. Um, currently right now we're looking for a staff member and I asked all of the search team members to give three or four questions that they would ask. Two questions were ones I wouldn't have even thought about asking. That's the value of having a search team. Um, and so I think you involve them. Secondly, and I, I would say this a little bit, um, hesitantly, but I would admit it. If it doesn't work out, you don't want all the blame on yourself either. <laughs> Good so word. So if it doesn't work yeah. out, it's not like you were the only one. No, there was a search team, and we collectively felt this was where God was leading us. So it gives you a little bit of protection, not that you ever want to hire with that mm-hmm. caveat there, um, but I think you involve them. Typically what I do, once the, the the pastor, and then usually I'll involve one or two other staff members on that search team, and then we'll have three or four or five people of lay members on that search team once we have landed in on a candidate and we think this is our candidate, typically what I've done is I've hosted a dinner for the ministerial staff and their wives because one of the key things is having a spouse, whether it's a wife or a husband, that's going to come in and they feel comfortable. And before they're even coming in view of a call, just to see how does that couple interact with the couple of, of the, our staff couples who are part of that team. You can tell quickly it's not an interview, it's not a gotcha time. We just want to interact. We want to sit around a table. We want to share stories. And if that person or that couple is a little awkward around your team, 
that may be a sense that God is telling you, hey, great on paper, great academically, but not a good fit, and it's, and it's protecting you. And so that's kind of the way that I, I go about it. I like that. I like that process of getting people's input, but still at the same time, you are the one who who is ultimately got to say, let's go with it, not go with it, with the input of the people. Now, let's talk about the actual person who you are looking for. We talked about where you can kind of look for some of those people, but let's talk about some of the qualities. What makes a good children's minister? Mm. Um. I go back again to what I said earlier. You must have a sense of calling. Um, you must not only feel called into ministry, you need to be feel, to be called into children's ministry. Um, I'm a unique person in that I was a children's pastor that went on to be a pastor. But when I was a children's minister, I was not looking at children's ministry as a stepping stone. I knew this was what God was calling me to do in that season. Um, and so I think it's incredibly important that they're not just trying to have a position because it's a, a certain church or they're looking for the next next opportunity. Mm-hmm. So they've got to have a sense of calling. Um, I think they've got to be able to relate to children. And that seems like an obvious thing, but it's really not. And then again, it's easy to see on a piece of paper someone's academics or maybe their background, but you need to know, can they communicate the gospel? Can they communicate God's word on a child's level? And I would say to any pastor that's considering a person, they need to go hear them. I would even take one of my children with me or someone on the search team, go to their church as a visitor, let them go listen to a children's lesson or to someone to see how did they connect. Did that child, how did you feel about that lady or that man? And also when you go to their church, you get to see how do they follow up with you as a guest. Did they follow up with you? Did, did they? How was the security measures? Did they value security, which is another incredibly important one? You know, what background check are you going to use? How are you going to ensure that you're protecting um, the families in your own church? How are you going to make sure that that you've done your due diligence? Secondly, I think they've got to be able to relate to parents. If you just have someone, and there's a lot of people that are really good at communicating with children, but they can't communicate with a parent. You're setting yourself up for a huge disadvantage because they are going to have to communicate. Here are the things that I value, and especially when they make changes, here's why. Um, that parent is going to want to know how are you protecting my child? How are you providing safety measures? What are the things that you're teaching? And that parent also wants to know because I think most parents they want to be a, a disciple maker in their home, but many of them they don't have that example. Their moms and dads, they did not lead them in the home. They want to lead their kids, so they need someone to come alongside them and a children's minister and hopefully a pastor as well that's going to train them, that's going to give them resources, that's going to say, here's how we're going to help you. I think that's the future of children's ministry a little bit. I think a children's minister is just as much involved with the parents as they are with the kids. Mm. So you've got to be able to communicate the Bible on a child's level but you also have to be able to communicate with um, with the parents. And, and going back to the, the, the kids, I would want to clearly hear them explain. And I, it may be awkward, but I've done this the, the last several that I've hired. Show me how you would walk through a conversation with a child who is ready to profess their faith in Jesus. I want to make sure, can they communicate clearly the gospel on a child's level? And are they just 
allowing everyone to go through, mm-hmm. um, or are they making it so complicated that they can't explain? It? That is the key area. Um, can they? Are they passionate about God's word? Can they teach it to children? Can they communicate with parents? And I'd love to find out how are they at connecting with other staff members where they currently are. Mm-hmm. Are they already serving in the senior adult ministry? Are they already talking about how they volunteered with D now at the student ministry? Because if they're not serving um, in partnership with other ministries in their current church, don't expect them to come be a team player, but just to come clock in and clock out and do their job. Good. Let me let me just throw a couple of questions that jump to my mind. Number one is: Is it wise to give the children's minister the responsibility of preschool, or should you separate that? Obviously. Some churches aren't, aren't able to do that, and I mm-hmm. totally understand that. If you're unable, then you need to make sure that that person can oversee both. They are vastly different. People right. put those in the same category. Preschool, you are constantly looking for volunteers. Think about extended care during the worship hour. Think about how they're just the ratio of numbers that you need for babies and what you need for ones and two-year-olds versus fifth and sixth grade. You need a lot more volunteers. Um, you need a lot more training on allergies and a lot more training on uh, just different things about the, the growth patterns of a child. Mm-hmm. Ideally, if a church can separate those, it's ideal, but I understand that's difficult for but many If to a children's minister says, I'm not comfortable in the preschool area, is it wise for a church to say, okay, we'll let you oversee it, but if we can't hire, we'll try to find someone that we can put under you that can kind of be a little more... Um, an expert or a little more attention given to that. And I know, you know, my mother worked for over 50 years in her church and preschool, and her joke was that because you're always looking for volunteers and they're not jobs people necessarily are wanting to do. So she said, you really find out pretty quick people will avoid you when you go to church <laughs> if they think you're going to say, can you help next Sunday? But I, I see that sometimes in churches that they put the responsibility and handling a six-month-old and a sixth-grader or a fifth-grader are vastly different. And I, I just, I, I realize sometimes churches can't, but it's pretty, I wouldn't forego a good children's minister just because, well, you got to do preschool as Absolutely. well. And I think that's, because that, that eats up a lot of energy. If you find a volunteer or someone help that helps the children's minister. Now, here's one I'm asked a lot. Uh, married or single, or does it matter? Hmm. It's a great question. Uh, I'm, again, an odd candidate in that I was single half the time I was at Trustful. I was 30 years old before I married Lindsay. Um, funny story, both of us were children's ministers when we got married at different mm-hmm. churches in Birmingham. Um, we'd kiss each other goodbye on Sundays, and then we'd come back and we'd eat lunch together. We knew that wasn't God's plan forever, so that was for a year before she accepted another job. Um, I don't dis- I don't discriminate. Um, I think you've got to do your due diligence in every area. I think we we see um, wrongdoing among singles. We see wrongdoing among married. I think that what you've got to do is your background check, but it's not just that. It's checking references. It's not just checking that reference they give you, but it's going two or three steps beyond that to make sure. There are benefits to single. Someone who's single, when I was single, I had a lot more time to give to the ministry. There's another benefit to being married that I have another opinion who's going to come alongside. There's an even added benefit, I would say, to a parent. Because once I became a parent, even though I had been a children's minister for 15 years, safety became a lot more important to me. 
It was it took on a whole different perspective when I had my own child. But that doesn't mean that you can't be a an effective children's minister as a single or without having children. So a follow-up to that, male versus female. I think there's benefits to both, um, and we've had both here. Um, and, and I think it goes back to the quality of the person. Mm-hmm. I will say this as a pastor. I think you need to make sure that you have female voices speaking into your staff meetings. If you are sitting around a table and it's three, four, five plus men and there's never a female speaking, you are missing an incredible um, opportunity to learn about the, the wisdom that women bring into not just preschool and children's ministry, but what they bring to the table. So I think you need to look at the, as an overall balance of that. Perspective. Absolutely. Just to give you a perspective, because I know one of the things that, that you were talking about, security, um, when Debbie and I became parents and our kids were in children's ministry, my wife looked for cleanliness. She really did. How often do you sterilize the toys and how often do you clean? Quite frankly, that never crossed my mind. <laughs> but there's little things like that that are important to know that aren't spiritual, but they're practical because people come into your church, they're looking for that. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things is when you hire a children's minister, and I, I say this about all staff positions, I watch pastors sometimes hire a staff member and say, well, there it is, go for it. And they sometimes can set a staff member up for success, or they can set them up for failure, or they can cause the staff member to resent the pastor. Um, Maybe the pastor even resents them. There's not good relationship. So as a pastor, you've been both children's minister and pastor. As a pastor, what can you do to ensure the success of your children's minister? The one thing I learned from a mutual friend that both of us have, Dr. Larry Little, um, is the importance of having a staff culture. Mm-hmm. And he says every organization has a culture, whether you are intentional about it or whether it just develops. So one of the things that, that we did, and I take no credit for this, but it's been so helpful for our current staff, but also as we're looking for staff members, is we took a staff retreat, and for two days we did nothing but try to develop what are the staff values that we, not the pastor, but we as a team, what do we value? So we started with a list of 30 different values, and then we called it down to 20, then we called it down to 15, and then we got it to 10. And we said, these are the 10 things, whether it was um, communication, healthy communication, forgiveness, fun, that we want this to be a fun environment. It's not for the church, but this is for the staff. Mm-hmm. And then we took those action items that said, here are the ways we're going to ensure that these happen. We now have those staff values posted in our office, and by the way, that's what you're held accountable for um, on your year in evaluation. We said this is what we value. You rank yourself from a scale of A, B, C, D, E, or A, B, C, D, F. How do you feel like you're doing? How could you improve in these areas? Then we take those staff values, and that's what we give to candidates. And then we ask leading questions to find out, do they fit these values that not just the pastor, but the staff have said are important? So then once they come, they come on board, that gives you a conversation not to say, well, you know what, you're just not a fun person. No, it gives you the opportunity to say, you know, one of the things we value is having fun together, and we've noticed that you don't really go to lunch with the team. And that doesn't seem important to you, but it is to the team because they want to know you outside of the office. Mm-hmm. We're not requiring that you got to hang out together on Friday nights, but we can require that you spend some time together outside of office hours just so that it's more than just work acquaintances. It truly is a staff family. 
So I think even making sure they fit in, it happens before you bring them on board and showing them this is what we value, here's what this takes place. And then when you have some corrective um, or critiques to ask of that that candidate or that, that minister who's there, it gives you something concrete to go back to. And it's not just a, you're not being nitpicky, but you're saying this is what's important and this is why it's important. How important is it, if I could follow up with that, as a pastor, when you celebrate, is probably the word, the success of children's ministry, I mean, whether it's a vacation Bible school or whether it's uh, you know a children's musical or things that are visible to the church, but even things that are not visible, how important is it that that children's minister hear their name called and they are publicly affirmed by the pastor. And I know you're going to say absolutely, but I, I hear so many staff members say, I work so hard, and I'm never, they're not looking for an award. They're not, they just want occasionally somebody to recognize their hard work. I think that's part of setting somebody up for success, is not flattering them, but celebrating what the Lord is doing through their ministry. And I know you're going to agree with that, but would you elaborate yeah. on that? You can't fake your um, appreciation not only for the minister, but for the ministry. You've got to get your hands in that ministry and be involved. I'll give an example. As a former children's minister, I served with a pastor that never took vacation during vacation Bible school. He was there every single time. Now, as a pastor today, this is Vacation Bible School Week, and we're recording this right now. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching fourth grade. It's that important to me that I'm not just going to watch up from the balcony and, and God bless the children. No, I want to be involved in that. And then, not only am I involved, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a picture and posting on social media. I'm so thankful for the leadership of this children's minister. That goes a long ways. Um, so you're involved, you're engaged, but then... There's something about the power of a handwritten thank you note. Mm-hmm. We don't do that very well anymore. But sending a handwritten thank you note, and I would go as far as, as giving a a spot reward. It may not be a, a huge bonus. It can be a gift card to a restaurant to say, I know Vacation Bible took, took, took you away from your wife and family. Here's a gift card to a nice restaurant to go. That means so much. Don't wait to express your appreciation or even to give awards at that year in evaluation. Mm-hmm. reward them in the midst when you see that, that gives you an opportunity to say, that's what I want to see more of, and I hope that you see that I value that, and I'm saying that. So you, yes, publicly, but also privately, and I think publicly is so important. And if you are missing an opportunity, if you don't, um, through your emails, if you don't on Sunday mornings, tell them, the congregation, look how fortunate we are. You know, what's the old saying? Don't wait to give them flowers at the funeral. Right. Tell them how much you appreciate them, because I promise it's much easier to do it then than to wait when they're resigning to go to another church, and then you list all their accomplishments. <laughs> and say, I wish we had kept them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, children's ministry has changed a lot in the last few years, and a couple of things that just seem obvious to me. You know, when I was growing up, most every child in our church, mom and dad, were in the home. I don't, I'm, I'm sure, maybe I didn't realize it, but for the most part, the parents were in church, maybe not every Sunday, but were supportive. And now we're living in a world where many children come from 
um, a single parent home, grandparents or the guardians, even children today that sometimes are in church that are foster children. How has children ministry changed and how is it going to change and how can we as a church be prepared mm-hmm. for it? I think you you hit the nail on the head when you started with the introduction of the podcast of how I think that children's ministry today is what student ministry was 10 years ago mm-hmm. in multiple facets, whether it's the importance that the church places on it, but also, and sadly for me, who has three young children at home, the development of our children has accelerated so much um, on a faster pace than it used to, that the temptations that they are faced with the technology that has rapidly changed, um, the influence of what's taking place, whether it's bullying, whether it is social media, that what they are being thrown at at second, third, fourth grade mm-hmm. was probably not something that happened to them 10 years ago until you were middle school and high school. Right. And so, I mean, and, and you even go back to the fact that the old statistic used to be if you don't reach a child to come to faith by the time they're in high school, there's an 80% chance they'll never come to faith. I don't know the exact statistic, but I would say that goes probably to fifth or sixth grade now, Um, that if we don't reach them because they are being molded and shaped and they are having so many consequences to what's externally happening to them, that we have got to make sure. So what that means to me, I don't want a children's ministry that's fluff. We don't have the opportunity to um, have a lot of fun and then throw in a Bible verse. I want them to know that they were created in God's image. From a young age, we don't wait until their fifth, sixth, seventh grade and then let them know, here's God's plan for marriage. Here's God's plan for your life. No, we want them to know this is who God created you to be. And this is the plan and purpose he has for you. This is your identity and your identity is found in Christ. I want them to know that God's word is true. It's not another book just like a science fiction book. And there's proof that it's true so that when they are tempted to believe um, from someone in high school or college, that it's um, just mythology, that there, there are so many flaws and, and discrepancies in the Bible. I want them to have a, a solid base from children's ministry that they have been taught from home and from parents, this is God's Word and it can be trusted. So they know their identity, they know that God's Word can be trusted, and the other thing that I'm big on as a children's minister, I want them to know the entire narrative of God's Word that God's Word is not just where you fit into God's story, but how God has this grand story and the privilege that we get to be a part. So that allows their minds, hopefully, to say, you know what? I want to go on a mission trip when I'm in high school. I'm, I'm going to potentially think about being a missionary because God didn't put me as the center of this universe. No, God is the one in control, and I get to play a role in that. And so they need to know the entire—they don't know every story— but they know that there's a rhyme and reason for how the Bible was put together. Well, I like that. You know, one of the things you mentioned about the challenges that kids have today, I have said to many people, the church can't out-entertain the world anymore. Absolutely. You know, there was a time when children could come to church, and that was the place where they got to do a lot of things that if they didn't do it at school, particularly during the summer, I mean, that they got to do, and it was fun. You cannot out-entertain the world anymore. Um, and we must give kids something that is solid and is. And what I have often said when I have observed good children's ministry is they have instilled into the children of that church, not just the gospel, not just the basics of the Bible and that, 
but they also want them to see the church as a place when they're hurting, whether it's when they're young or when it's older, it's a safe place to be. Absolutely. And not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and in every other way. Well, one final question for you, because some pastor is going to ask this question, so I'm going to ask it for him. I've searched everybody in my church, and I really don't have a good fit. I don't have anyone who has a calling. So we're going to have to look outside our church. Where can I look to find good candidates Hmm. for a children's minister? Is there a place where Blake Kersey will go and Hmm. look if there's not a good candidate in the church? Because in a lot of small churches, they're not. And even mid-sized and large churches, there's just not anybody that emerges. Is there any place you would tell pastors, here's a good place to start? You know, and then the, the, the time that I've been here, I found the two most difficult positions to hire, children's minister and worship pastor. Um, those are so difficult because they're constantly evolving and changing. And even when you look at children's minister, I would say a majority of them are females, and that the females are going to be attached with their husbands and the kids, so it's hard to kind of pull someone away from another city where some of those other ministers you can. Um, the one thing that I would say, in your church, can you find from your parents and from your volunteers, are there two or three other churches that are doing children's ministry really well? They may not be like your church in worship style. They may not even have the same philosophy of student ministry. But when you look at their children's ministry, you think, man, they are doing X, Y, and Z really well. Then as the pastor, I would take myself and another staff member, and I would ask, can I meet with some of those staff members? And just whenever you go, if you get one or two things, then that's a success. Maybe it's a curriculum. Maybe it's a place where they hosted a camp. Maybe it's a way that they communicate with parents. And meet with them, write down, here are the things that were important to them. A, that's going to be helpful for you in the future, but B, it's also going to be helpful when you bring that children's minister on board. Hey, maybe in that year in evaluation, one of the things that I like for our staff to do is other people have good ideas. We're not the only ones that have those ideas. Go meet with someone else that's doing things and see if you can pick up some of those. And you can say, I met with this church and they had a great children's ministry and meet with them. So when you meet with them, I would then ask, we're wanting someone with the same philosophy of ministry as yours. Do you have anyone that has been in your ministry in the past, that has been an intern before, that has been an associate before, or is that in a church close by that you could recommend? Um, Almost all of the good hires that I've made have come from recommendations from people that I know and trust. The ones that weren't a good chemistry fit were those that I just blindly received a resume from, and I didn't have any connection to having a a reference to. So I think going to that church, A, it's going to help you in the immediate, but B, I think it's going to help when that candidate comes. But I'll admit, it is a difficult position to fill. Um, I think that we've got to do our best um, to prepare churches um, and how they're going and they're looking for them. And I think the best way is to find an example of someone who's doing it well. I think that's good advice. And I, I read recently that the percentage of people in the church who are willing to volunteer is diminishing rapidly. And I'm not sure that that isn't going to pose some challenges for the church across the board. But one final word for pastors that I would share. If you have a good children's minister, 
Don't wait till they tell you they're considering leaving before you give them a raise. Pay them well. Um, Commend them often. Let them know they are appreciated. Because the one thing I think I hear from so many church staff is they feel like they're doing a good job. The pastor feels like they're doing a good job. But for many reasons, they never get, um, that's great, and what you said earlier of just both publicly and privately saying thank you and this is special goes a long way. Well, Dr. Blake Kersey, thank you for sitting down with us today on the this podcast to just talk about children's ministry. It's so vital. And I hope pastors that have heard us today will take some of the nuggets you've shared and just, you know, no one person has all the answers, but sometimes when we sit down and listen, we get that little nugget that we can build on and we can make a difference. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thanks. It's an honor to be with you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Everyday Pastor. Our hope is that this conversation will be a resource to you both personally and professionally as you navigate the high calling of leading a church. For more information on today's topic, a list of related resources, or information about today's guest, please visit everydaypastor.info. Don't forget to subscribe to Everyday Pastor so you don't miss an episode, share it with your friends, and follow at Phil Waldrop on Instagram for podcast updates. Thank you.